All right, well, good morning. I always uh, count it a privilege to be able to uh, open God's Word with you, so I'm excited about this opportunity once again. We're going to continue our series in Philippians. Uh, before we do that, uh, no, I don't have a new child yet, so for everyone who's thinking it or wondering it, uh, it's something that I am currently, at this moment in time, extremely stressed out about because uh, my wife is at home and she is experiencing certain things and, you know, we'll see. So if I run out suddenly, it's not you, it's my wife. Um, and uh, Ray has already agreed he's going to take over. So uh, let's start with a word of prayer because I know I need it and certainly we can all uh, use some prayer as we open the word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and all that he's done for us. And Father, as we, as we study about Jesus, Father, as we celebrate all that he's done, Father, I pray that we would learn from his example, that we would be encouraged this morning, and that we would have the same heart and mind that was also in your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Our passage today is in Philippians chapter 2. Go ahead and make your way there if you would. Our message entitled, The Joy of Serving. Now often when you hear about this passage, very famous passage of scripture, the first word that comes to your mind is often humility. Because ultimately that is what Christ puts on display. So I entitled this The Joy of Serving because serving is really humility in action. That's what serving is. It's me in humility uh, serving, working toward the betterment of someone else or, or a collective group as a whole. And so the title of our message is The Joy of Serving. Before we get into the text, I want to share with you just a, a quick story. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I was on the baseball team here at Mount Calvary. We uh, had a, a pretty good team. We had a really good pitcher. And in single-A baseball, when you have a really good pitcher, you can do a lot of things because he can keep you in a lot of games. And so my senior year, we ended up winning a district title. Uh, we made it to states, obviously, then. We won our first two games of states, and we made it to the state semifinal against Christopher Dock, the defending state champs. They had a kid who could bring it, but we did too. So we thought, all right, we, we have a chance. It was the two of them matched up against each other. And so we started the game, we got off to an early lead, it was 2 nothing us, good guys, right? Like, man, we got a shot at this. But then some adversity came. Then we made some mistakes. Then we made some, some mistakes that were not characteristic of our team. And as we started making mistakes, I noticed the demeanor of our team began to change. To the point that even when we came into the dugout in between innings, it was not the usual uh, good time. It was not the usual camaraderie. In fact, uh, there were moments in that game where when we faced adversity, we began yelling at each other and getting frustrated with each other. Well, why didn't you do this? Or you made the mistake and now it's going to cost us the game. And, and in essence, we in a lot of ways gave up at that point when we faced that adversity. And we went on to lose the game. And then Christopher Dock won the state championship game like 14 to 1 or something. It was like, ah, uh, if we had just beaten them, I mean, we were the two best teams in the state that year. That's, but we didn't play like it on that day. 
Adversity came, and we allowed disunity to creep in. Now, the title of this message is The Joy of Serving, but ultimately, Paul's goal in this service is unity. Sounds familiar, right? It seems like every time I get up here to talk to you guys, it's about the same subject, right? It's pretty cool what God does. But ultimately, it's about unity through our service. And so this morning, I want to do two things. As we work through this text, I have a three-point outline, but I want to accomplish two things today. I want us first to stand in awe at our Savior. I think it's important for us to take the time. We can look at this passage, and we can discuss the theology of it, and, and we will do some of that. We think, well, what does this mean, or what does that mean? And, and really, the goal is for us to just look at Jesus and think, wow. There's a song, it's called In Christ Alone. I'm sure that many of you have heard of it. But I believe it's the second verse. It says, in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. Think about that. Like you can't, I can't understand that. The fullness of God and a helpless baby that was dependent on his parents for life. It's God in flesh. And that's what we're going to read about today. So my first goal is I really want us to stand in awe of our Savior. My second goal for this message is to give us a hard challenge. This passage is going to teach us some things about the seriousness in which we should approach our service and the degree in which we approach our service. This is not an easy application. This has been working on my heart for a while, and it's really, you know, beating me up. And so I might say some things this morning that are going to be difficult that you're really going to have to think about and be challenged by. Just know that I've been challenged myself and that I'm challenging us all together out of love. I want you to know that. This is not out of frustration or anything else. It's out of love. I want us all to learn this idea of having joy in serving. All right, three parts to our outline this morning. First, the concern revisited... Uh, Ray in chapter 1 brought up an issue that Paul is now going to continue in chapter 2. We're going to look at that in a second. The second part is the champion celebrated, and that ultimately is our first goal of today, is to look at Jesus and think, wow. I mean, this text is an incredible example of who Jesus is and what he did when he came to the earth. Again, I can't get in Christ alone out of my head. Fullness of God and helpless babe. Like, what? And then finally, the challenge delivered. Because that's ultimately what we're going to conclude with. Is that, yes, after we appreciate Christ and stay in awe of him, then we are challenged to act. Then we are challenged to do something, to, to make a change. I want to start, though, before we get to Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there. I want to start in Hebrews 12, 
a passage that I, I've been thinking about, I've been, I've been reading through lately, and I wanted to, to just share this with you because I thought it was very appropriate for our setting and for the passage that we're going to discuss this morning. Hebrews 12, verses 17 and 18, here's what it says. Hebrews 12, 17 and 18. I'm here and it's not looking right. Huh. Oh no. Give me one second. What's going on? I told you I was stressed out, right? Maybe. Could be. No, we're not there yet. Man, that's frustrating. Okay, well, I'll just tell you what the passage that I was going to, and you can look it up later. How about that? Anyway, there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about us respecting and following our leaders and ultimately them leading us in joy. And I want us to really wrap our minds around that, given the state of our church and where we are and how we're moving forward, and we need to move forward in unity. And ultimately, that is going to require us to follow our leadership, to trust our leadership. And I love how uh, the author of Hebrews puts it because he says later on, I really wish I could find it because it's a tremendous Ha-ha, <laughs> yes, success, chapter 13. Now we're talking. Ah, see, this is going to be so good. All right, verses 17 and 18. Oh, yes, fabulous. Here it is. I don't know why I wrote 12 down. Oh, well. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I mean, what a great challenge for us. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you, and they will give an account. We talked about that at our family meeting. I think uh, it was uh, Mr. Nelson that brought that up, that they're held to a high standard, and they will be held to a higher standard when they stand before God someday. And that's a very serious thing, and that's something they take very seriously. And we ought to obey and follow them, submit to their authority because of that. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. I... I I don't want to speak for the elders, but I feel like in, in where we have come as a church for a long time that there hasn't necessarily been a lot of joy in what they've worked through and gone through. And so I'm challenged as we think about Philippians 2 today, as I was reading this passage earlier this week, I thought, am I... living in such a way toward my elders that it is a joy for them to serve and lead me. 
That's a big challenge. And so really what this passage is about, the concern that Paul has for the Philippian church is disunity. We got to get that back. We got to get unity back here. We have to be all on the same page or we're going to fail. So let's go back to Philippians now. And let's look at the concern revisited. The concern revisited. We're going to start in chapter 1. I have the right verse this time. I promise. We're going to start in chapter 1 because Paul is going to deal with an issue that he raised in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So the concern is, why are we preaching Christ? Let's look at verse 15 of chapter 1. Here's what it says. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains." But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So Paul brings up an issue that was happening in the church of Philippi uh, and, and the surrounding area, and that is that he was preaching Christ, and other people were preaching Christ because they wanted to surpass Paul. They were preaching Christ out of envy, out of rivalry. They wanted to surpass Paul. They wanted to put Paul down. You want to say, well, I'm greater than Paul. Let's see if I can build a larger following than Paul has. And this was a major concern. Now, here in chapter 1, Paul says, hey, Christ is being preached, and that's a good thing. But we really have to talk about motivation. Motivation, in many ways, is just as important as the actual action. And so Paul is going to bring this up because of what they were doing in chapter 1. Ultimately, it's going to bring disunity to the church. And he has to address it. When you and I start focusing on ourselves, when you and I start focusing on our position, our voice, our role in our, this ministry, when we start making it about ourselves, we bring disunity. If you and I start thinking, well, my ministry is more important than that ministry, or look at how many kids got saved at Awana, they're not having that success in youth group, or whatever you might think, where you start to think, wow, our, my little ministry, what I'm involved in, look at the success it's having, it must be because of me, look what I'm doing. The moment you allow that to happen, it's going to bring disunity. Paul wanted them to know, I want us all to know we're on the same team. We're all in this together. It's not about you and me. It's not about uh, elders and deacons. It's not about elders and congregation. It's not about Awana versus youth group or moms versus whatever. It's all of us together. We're in this together. And unfortunately... It hasn't always worked out that way. I haven't always felt that, that we are all in this together. 
So let's look at now chapter 2. So again, Paul talked about this in chapter 1. He said there was a problem with disunity because people were promoting themselves trying to put Paul down. He said, hey, we might have been accomplishing good things, but we were accomplishing good things for the wrong reasons. So now we need to correct the motivation. So now we're in chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Verses will be up on the screen as well. Notice as we read these first four verses, the the references to being unified. How many there are in this passage? Because there's a lot. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, if you go through and just highlight or circle some of these words, right? We see words like united, uh, if any, comment, being like-minded, one in spirit, one in mind. Ultimately, Paul is calling the church of Philippi, if you want this joy that I've been talking about, I'm going to talk about for the whole book, if you want this joy, if, you want, if my joy is going to be complete in you, it's going to require you to be unified. That was his concern in chapter 1. He said, well, at least Christ is being preached, but there's disunity. There's people trying to promote themselves. There's people doing things out of vain conceit. Now he's saying if we truly want to be united, if we truly want to have success, if we truly want to have joy, it requires us to be like-minded. I love verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. We do it. If we're honest, we do it. Some of us, myself included, have been in ministry, have done things, accomplished things for God, and said, wow, I'm pretty awesome. It's a good thing this church has me. Right? If we're honest, many of us have had those thoughts. I know I have. Man, I did such a great job teaching that lesson, or I did such a great job bringing this event together. We make it about ourselves. By the way, this this, uh, conceit that we have, Paul says it's vain, right? It's not true. It's not because of me. It's nothing that I do. It's because of what God does. So the concern that Paul has that he's revisited now in chapter 2 is that people in the church would do things for others, not for themselves. And ultimately, that's where our theme is. And ultimately, this is where the example of Christ comes in. And that's what we're going to get to next. So first we see the concern. The concern is that there's disunity. Because of selfish action. 
We're going to talk more about that at the end, but if you're here this morning and, and you're doing something within the church, if you are serving in some capacity and you're doing it for selfish reasons, that's a problem. It's not about you. It's not about me. Ultimately, it's about Jesus, and that's where Paul goes next. So we've seen the concern revisited. Now we're at the champion celebrated. We have Christ's incredible example, and, you know, I wish we could talk about this for hours upon hours, just because we could. We're going to read a text here, again, that is mind-boggling as it relates to all of the things that Jesus went through and gave up to come to the earth to save us from our sins. So let's look at the text. The champion celebrated. We're picking it up in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we could just sit here and just read this like eight, nine, ten more times together, and it would be a valuable exercise. Let's start at the end, though, verses 9, 10, and 11. If your purpose for being here, if my purpose for being here, if your purpose for serving in the church, if my purpose for serving in the church is not to make Christ's name great, we're missing the point. This is one of those moments where you and I read this text, and I think to myself, like, I, I cannot understand how incredible Jesus really is. Can't comprehend it. Yet we live our lives as if that's not the case. Shame on us for that. Shame on us if we lose our focus from how incredible Christ is. Yet sometimes we want to make it about ourselves How incredible is Jesus? And someday, and, and we should be, we are responsible for helping that happen more and more in our community in Elizabethtown. But ultimately, someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm excited about that day. But we get to have a window into that now through what we do here, through what we do in our communities. We have opportunities to make Christ's name great. And all too often we focus on ourselves. Let's look back a little bit at what Christ did. 
I want, I want us to just examine briefly, what did Christ give up? What did Christ give up? We read this text about him being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He takes on the form of a servant. He humbles himself and becomes obedient to death. So what are some things that Christ gave up? Well, first of all, he gave up his position, right? His position. He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father, and he ends up in a manger. Think about that. Again, fullness of God and helpless babe. I, I cannot wrap my mind around that. And I hope that that causes all of us right now to just think, wow. He gave up his position. He, he's, he's on the throne, and he says, nope, I'm going to go to a manger and be a baby. What else did he give up? He gave up his condition. His condition. Now, we have to be careful here, right? This is the big debate, and this is where we get... Uh, consumed by our theological discussion of this passage, not really focus on what it's about. It's ultimately about humility, and ultimately humility in action, which is service. That's what the passage is about. That's why Christ is our example. And too often we get caught up in, well, was he able to sin? Was he not able to sin? Uh, could he have free exercise of his deity? Uh, which parts, some parts, all parts, no parts? Was he fully God or fully man? Like, I mean... We get all caught up in this, and ultimately the passage is about humility in action, which is service, and that's what we're called to do with Christ, our example. So we need to be careful with this, but he did give up his condition. Think about this. For the first time, and for all of eternity, right, he exists in eternity past, he's God, he's the creator of the universe, he sustains it, and now he comes to earth, and now he is dependent on a mother to feed him, to change him, to clothe him. Not only that, he experiences human weakness, feels hungry, never felt hungry before, right? He's the I am, the, the self-sustaining one, felt hungry, felt tired. So he feels things that he's never felt before. So be careful as we talk about this, but his condition certainly changed. He certainly took on weakness that he had never experienced before. What else changed? Gave up his control. Gave up his control. Colossians 1 tells us that uh, by him all things are held together. Right? Christ is the sustainer of the universe. He's the one that holds it all together. Yet in the garden, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He submits himself. He gives up control to the Father. He submits to the Father's will. And ultimately, we see this on the cross. He gives up his relationship. He's on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. It's hard for us to imagine. He has existed for eternity past and eternity future in perfect communion with the Father. Yet on the cross, that bond is broken. The Father turns his back. He has experienced the perfect relationship for eternity 
eternity past, eternity future, except for those three hours he's on the cross. Think about that. He gave that relationship up, albeit temporarily, but he certainly gave it up, and he certainly felt it. It was certainly incredibly difficult. He gave that up for you and for me. He gave up his relationship with the Father. So I don't know about you, but as, as I think about, as I read this text, as I think about all of the things it says about Jesus, again, the only conclusion, the only response that I can think of that makes any sense is, whoa, I can't understand that. It is absolutely incredible to think about what Christ did when he came to the earth for you and for me. We shouldn't find it hard to serve him. We shouldn't find it hard to make it about him and not about us. For me, I think if I, if I read this text like every morning, like that would really change my perspective on things, wouldn't it? Something to think about. But Jesus is our champion. We need to celebrate him. What we do here, what we do outside of here is all about him. It's not about us. And I just stand in awe about all the things that Christ gave up, all of the things he went through for me. So we've looked at the concern revisited, that people are doing things for selfish ambition, for themselves. And now we've looked at the champion celebrated and the incredible things that Jesus went through and accomplished for us and the incredible sacrifice that he made to do so. So now we're going to look at the third part, the challenge delivered. The challenge delivered. And ultimately, I want us to ask this question, and this is where we're going to, after we work through the rest of the text, by way of application, this is the question I'm going to ask you, and this is hard. This is hard. Am I a helper or a servant? There's a big difference. If I'm being honest, most of the time I'm a helper. Maybe if most of us are honest, most of us are helpers too. And we're going to look at the difference between being a helper and a servant. Because ultimately it's being a servant that God has called us to. Before we get to that, let's get back to the text. So we're in verse 12 now, Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, my dear friends, so after all of this, he says, as we think about Christ, this is how you and I are to live our lives in the same way that Christ sacrificed, in the same way that Christ served, in the same way that Christ practiced humility in action. Now we're being challenged to have the same mindset, to do the same kind of thing, to live the same way. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to stop right there. This is, this is one of my, this is something that God lays on my heart a lot. I have an opportunity as a spiritual life director, I do morning announcements at school. I enjoy it, it's fun, it's okay. Sometimes I pray, we'll read scripture, you know, those kinds of things. We'll do the pledge in the morning, I'll give announcements. When I pray, I always, almost always, 
and I have to avoid, you know, it becoming a vain repetition, but I truly try to make it sincere every time. My prayer is that we live in light of the gospel every day. Like I pray that almost every day, if not every day. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't ever think that you've outgrown the gospel. That's not true. It is the gospel which empowers you not only to be saved, that initial moment you trust in Christ as your Savior, but it is also the gospel of Jesus that empowers you to live every day after that. It's not like, oh, I got saved, thanks, and now I'm going to try really, really hard. I tell this to my students all the time. It's not about you trying really, really hard. It's about the gospel working through you. It's about God's grace. It's about you uh, allowing the Spirit to control you. It's still all about God. Everything you and I do from that moment on is still all about God. It's still through God and for God. We act like it's through us and for us a lot, though. Sorry, that was a little, uh, got a little sidetracked there. All right. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Again, there it is. It's all about God. Verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's read verse 14 again. Do everything without complaining or arguing. When we have the proper perspective, when we approach each other with humility and service, arguing and complaining don't happen. Arguing and complaining, what Paul's telling us is they are a symptom of us being selfish. Right? I do this with my kids a lot. Now, um, some people might be critical of me that I try to logically reason with my two year old son, Judah, but I do. Sit him down and I try to have a logical conversation with him. He, I'm sure he has no idea what's going on, but that's just how I process things, and so I want him to, I don't know, learn how to process things, or at least it makes me feel better when I sit down and talk to him. So, you know, he does something, or, or it's time for bed. That's the big one, right? Is there a two-year-old alive that likes to go to bed? I don't know. Maybe you have one good for you, but I don't. I never had one. Likes to go to bed. It's bedtime. Oh, and now he needs a drink all of a sudden, and now he needs this and that, and you know he doesn't want to go to bed, and so he complains. And so I sit down and try to have a logical conversation with him because that's how my brain operates. And I think, okay, why don't you want to go to bed? And typically he'll say something like, I just don't want to. I said, is sleeping important to you? <laughs> Do you know what happens if you don't? It's important for your mother and I, I can tell you that. And usually I can get him to say yes. Okay, so it's something that we have to do. <laughs> Again, I'm reasoning with a tear. I'm like, 
Judah, you do this every night, and every night you end up having to go to bed anyway, so why don't we just skip the complaining part and just go to bed, right? Ah, wouldn't that be great for once, maybe? But I look at Judah, and I look at his unwillingness to do what I've asked him to do, and often it's complaining, and he doesn't want to do it, and he's frustrated, because it's, what, it's about what he wants, Right? Him complaining and grumbling and being upset is a result of what he wants not happening. There are plenty of times in my own life where I'm like my two-year-old, right? Where God is doing something, he has called me to do something, he has challenged me with something, and I just complain about it and I don't want to do it. Because I think it's about me. I love this verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Again, complaining or arguing are a symptom of selfishness. Verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Again, how we interact with each other. Paul says it's not even just about us being unified. It's not merely about us coming together. Ultimately, it's about us shining like stars to a lost and dying world. Your selfishness, my selfishness, prevents people from coming to Christ, or at least hearing the gospel. If we don't get along, we set up barriers for lost people. Man, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, what does the world think? What, what do people think about our church if they hear about it, if they come and visit, or if they see what's been going on, or they hear things you know, that might be true that, or might not be true? But what is their perception? If their perception is, man, Mount Calvary Church, they can't get their act together. They can't keep a pastor. What's going on? Like, they're not going to be like, oh, we should serve Jesus too. Let's find out more about him. Right? That's not, that's not going to be their response. We need to be concerned about that. We are meant to shine. We are meant to be salt and light. The world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, how we treat each other matters. It's so important that all of us be united with a common goal, not for ourselves, but for God. I don't know about you, but when I see disunity or dysfunction or people upset or division, it just breaks my heart. I just think, this can't happen. We're not accomplishing our purpose if we're divided and fighting and arguing all the time. And ultimately, the response to this, and Paul's response, even though he might be poured out as a drink offering, is that he rejoices. Isn't there great joy when you serve God with other people and you see God work in someone else's life? You see someone come to Christ or someone take that next step in following God? I mean, what a joy that is. And that's what God wants us all to be a part of, making disciples. I'll give you another quick story. So we're at youth group. This was at my first church that I was a youth pastor at. I was there for about eight years. And 
there was a teenager who started coming to church with his family. He and I got connected. I was the youth pastor. And so I started developing this uh, rapport with him. You know, he, he was into certain thing, different things that I wasn't familiar with. And so I took it upon myself to say, okay, I'm going to try to become interested in what he's interested in. And, and so I developed a relationship that way through uh, an interest that he had. And so, you know, we're working through, you know, the gospel. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying that God's going to save this young man. And I remember we started meeting, we started having a youth group in his house. How cool is that? He's not saved. We're meeting in his house. That's pretty awesome. And so we're there the one night, and we were talking. We were working through Romans as a youth group, and you know, we we were in Romans five, and we talked about how, you know, we talked about Adam and Christ, and you know, the the similarities, and then the vast differences between the two of them that we see in Romans five, and and so we're breaking up into our small group time, and I just felt this. This joy, this burning in my spirit that something great was going to happen. I told, I, I went to my, Julie was helping out. She wasn't my wife at the time, but she was uh, in ministry with me. And she, she took upon herself to lead the young ladies. We were dating at the time. And uh, I, I bent down to her and I said, start praying because I just, I feel this. I feel the spirit really is what it was. I feel the spirit moving. Joseph's going to get saved tonight. Like, I just know it. I'm convinced of this. And so we sit down for our small group time, and Joseph said, hey, can, can we talk outside? I said, yeah, I know what's coming. Yeah. Oh, really? You want to talk? Oh, I didn't know. Sure. So I just had that sense. And so we go out, and he prays. He, he receives Christ as a Savior that night. And, you know, when I think about that story, when I, when I tell it, when I... When I you know, think through it. When I see the young man, he's becoming today and continuing to grow in his relationship with Jesus. My only response is like, I, I need to cover the mic. It's like, woohoo! See, I knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, we hear about. Can, can I just? Can I just? You know, something personal here. We hear about Karen's story. Like, I don't know about you. I mean, I should have just done it. Like, I felt like jumping out of my seat. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's just kind of like. We're sitting there listening, and Karen's done. We hear about these two little boys who, you know, are memorizing God's word when they don't even have a relationship with Jesus yet, and they're learning about John 3.16 and the love that God had for them through the Son. And, and we hear that, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's worship now. Like, right? Like, I, sh- I should have. It's shame on me for not standing up and saying, that is in incredible. Let's, let's get pumped about that. Like, if you can't get excited about that, what are you going to get excited about, right? Shame on me for not doing that. I should have done it. I was sitting there thinking, like, what? Nobody's going to... No? Like, we're not going to jump up and go nuts right now because of what God's doing in these people's lives? That's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. We're here so that we can shine like stars, and ultimately, that serving God brings joy to us. We all want joy, right? Who's like, I don't want to be, I want to be miserable. Well, the way to find joy is to serve God together. All right, so let's wrap this up now. So we looked at the concern revisited. We looked at the champion celebrated. And we looked at the challenge delivered, that ultimately we need to have unity 
through humility and action, which is service. So I want to close with a challenge. This is by way of application. Are you a helper or a servant? A helper or a servant? I want to look at the difference between the two. First, we're going to look at the helper first. First, a helper helps others when the circumstances are convenient. A helper helps others when the circumstances are convenient. Next, a helper helps people that he or she likes. A helper helps people that he or she likes. Next, a helper helps when he or she enjoys the work. A helper helps when he or she enjoys the work. Next, a helper helps with a view to obtaining personal satisfaction. A helper helps with a view to obtaining personal satisfaction. And finally, for a helper, a helper helps with an attitude of assisting another. A helper helps with an attitude of assisting another. Now, before we get to a servant, I just want us to think about this. How often are you and I in the helper category? Let me give you an example from me, because I fail all the time. Youth group, right? I'm a volunteer at youth group. How easy is it? And this, this is number one on the list, right? When the circumstances are convenient. How easy is it? Maybe you do this too. I do it. Not here to judge. You know, Sunday afternoon, I'm not feeling the best. I'm kind of tired. I got some stuff I should probably do for school the next day. And so I decide, eh, youth group. I can just say, oh, you know, my stomach hurts or I have a cough or I don't know. I can make up some excuse to not go. Anybody ever do that? Maybe it's just me. Anybody ever do that? Eh. You know, I could go and I should go, but eh, I'm just not feeling it tonight. Right? That's a helper, right? When the circumstances are convenient. If it's inconvenient, oh, well, you know, I got some stuff I got to do. I'm not feeling the best. I'm kind of tired. Maybe the Cowboys are playing. I want to watch the game, right? We can come up with all kinds of excuses and say, oh, well, you know, it's inconvenient for me, so I'm not going to do it. Maybe it's uh, helping someone that he or she likes. Maybe if someone asks you that you like, hey, could you do this for me? Oh, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Someone else comes up to you you don't particularly care for says, would you be willing to do this? Well, you know, I have some stuff going on. I'm kind of busy. Being a helper is not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for me. It's not good enough for you. We can't accept people who are merely helpers. Because it's still about them. Me not going to youth group because I'm not feeling the greatest, that's about me. It's not about the teens that I should be meeting with, interacting with, studying God's word with. Are you just a helper? 
I want us all to really think about that. I need to think about that. All right, a servant. And you'll see the parallels here. First, a servant serves others even when the circumstances are inconvenient. Secondly, a servant serves even for people that he or she dislikes. Next, a servant serves even when he or she dislikes the work. Next, a servant serves even when he or she receives no personal satisfaction. And finally, a servant serves with an attitude of enabling another. Enabling another. So we have two columns here. As we think about Christ, as we think about the sacrifice that he made, the humility he demonstrated through his actions in serving others and serving you or me, says he became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Hebrews 2 says it's for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame. Is that Hebrews 12 too? I don't know, my Hebrews references are off today. 12 2? That sounds close. You can look that one up later too. The point is, that's the model we are to attempt to follow. Anything short of that is not good enough. It's not good enough. I've been really challenged this week, the last two weeks, as I've been reading through this passage. I'm so often in the left column, and that's not good enough. So I would really ask each of us to really examine our hearts, our motivations. Am I a helper or am I a servant? And that's going to that's gonna make a big difference in the life of our church. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. And that needs to be our focus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have sent your son for us, that he gave up so many things for us. He gave up his position and his condition. He gave up his relationship with you. He felt weakness. He felt hunger. Father, he is our example, and what a high standard it is. Father, I pray that as we stand in awe of Jesus, that we would not be content with merely being helpers, that we would not be content with doing just enough, or that we would not be content with, with uh, helping for our benefit. Father, I pray that we would do nothing out of vain conceit. Father, I pray that you'd help me Help all of us to be servants to each other. Father, we thank you that we have such a great example. And Father, I just pray earnestly that we would all have that attitude of service and that we would experience the great joy that comes 
from serving you and knowing that you did all the work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.